Welcome to the Shock Your Potential podcast with your host, Michael Sherlock. We all have potential, but sometimes we need inspiration to get us to our peak performance. Whether you are starting out in your career, ready to move up the corporate ladder, or taking the leap into entrepreneurship, Michael's guests provide powerful tools and resources to shock your potential. Shock Your Potential is a global professional development training company committed to your unique journey. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com and download our free Shock Your Potential app today. Listen in to today's expert. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. I am your host, Michael Sherlock, and all month long, we're talking about caring for our communities. And those can be our local communities, our citywide, our statewide, our nationwide, or global communities. And every one of my guests is here to help us focus on what we can do to help. And my guest today is going to challenge us in a number of areas. I cannot wait to talk to him um, because I think it's going to make a big impact, I know, on me and hopefully on you as well. Well, now he's based in Washington, D.C. and has been for the past 30 years. Storm Cunningham primarily focuses on three things, community renewal, nature restoration, and climate resilience. And if you're watching the news today, you know this is something that we need to take much more seriously than we have. He also writes a lot of books and does inspirational talks and how-to workshops for nonprofits and governments worldwide. Now, he comes at this with some great background. He was a former Green Beret, and his hard-hitting, humorous, silo-busting talks can focus on, are you ready, water, housing, job growth, energy, transportation, agriculture, natural resources, downtowns, brownfields, heritage, climate, social justice, and education, just to name a few. And he talks about the RE factor or the re factor, renewal, restoration, rewealth. And he's actually written a couple books on them. In 2002, he published The Restoration Economy, and uh, that advanced today's resilience trends. He also, in 2008, published Rewealth, which revealed restorative developments, revitalizing secrets. He likes the R's a lot. And in 2020, Reconomics, the path to resilient prosperity, where he shows how to achieve economic growth, crisis recovery, and community resilience together. And uh, joining us today, I cannot wait to learn from him. Storm, thank you so much for being our guest today. Well, thanks for that lovely introduction, Michael. <laughs> you have a lot of re's, so <laughs> I guess a lot of reasons for being on the podcast. Uh-oh, here they come. <laughs> I know. Well, I had some of the highlights. Tell us a little bit more about you, your mission, and how all this that you do and focus on helps us all to shock our potential of our communities, locally or globally. Well, you've pretty much told the whole story already. Yes. <laughs> all right, I, we're done. <laughs> I, I focus, yes, I focus on pretty much anything that starts with RE and mm. uh, not religion, but uh, just about <laughs> everything else. And uh, the, uh, you, you're right, I, I like the uh, theme of your show, uh, Shock Your Potential, because the fact is, you know, I've, I've been doing this work now for uh, almost 30 years. And one thing I've learned is that most communities really need to be shocked big time. Mm -hmm. uh, just about everywhere you go, and I've done this wor work all over the planet, so I'm not just picking on American communities, mm -hmm. but just about everywhere you go, communities have revitalization and resilience initiatives underway, or they're at least talking about it or writing plans for it, but hardly anybody's accomplishing anywhere near what they're hoping to accomplish. 
Uh, mm -hmm. I found that 90% of these initiatives uh, are failures, uh, not necessarily outright failures. Of course, local, you know, mayors and city councils never declare anything a failure. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's really more a failure to make any kind of significant impact. Mm -hmm. So and, and, and tell me a little bit about that, because, you know, I mean, I, you're right. I mean, sometimes those of us sitting back, you know, letting other people, I'm going to put those air quotes, you know, try and fix problems are hoping people are fixing the problems, but the problems are still there and are getting worse. Why do we not make good progress? Uh, several major reasons. Uh, one of the most common is that most communities suffer from perpetual planning syndrome. They, uh, yeah. You know, plans are such an easy win for elected officials. You know, they, they get elected on promises of revitalization, even though very few of them have any kind of background or training in how to accomplish revitalization, but they all love to promise it. Yeah. And then the first thing they do is they need an easy win. And you're being Americans, we like to buy everything. <laughs> so uh, they write a check for a plan. And they do a news conference and we've just commissioned a new plan and everybody thinks revitalization must be on the way. And a yeah. year later, the plan is delivered to get another news conference. They hold up the plan. Now we have a plan. Everybody thinks now revitalization is really going to happen. Right. And then the mayor realizes that he's had these first two, uh, he or she has had these first two wins with no risk. All of a sudden, implementation time comes along yeah. and risk is involved. So the plan goes on the shelf and five years later, they say, we need to update our plan. And the whole cycle uh, starts all over again. So oh everybody's gosh, thinking so that something's happening and all they're really doing is writing plans. Wow, you're absolutely right. I can see that because you're when you get to the point where you have to make things happen, then people's lives are impacted or their businesses are impacted. And all of a sudden what they wanted for somebody else to fix might impact them. And I didn't want to make the change. I just wanted the change to happen. So now we're back in that cycle of who's going to actually take the steps. Right. So that, that describes most communities. Now there are some communities that have really dedicated leaders who are honestly trying to revitalize or become more resilient. And that gets back to what I said before, is they just don't know how. They've got yeah. no training in this. There are yeah. no real degrees in how to revitalize a place. Uh, lots of degrees in the bits and pieces. Right. And you can get degrees in how to restore historic buildings, how to renew infrastructure, how to restore watersheds or ecosystems, you know, uh, all of this sort of stuff. But the actual end result of revitalization or resilience, those are kind of mysterious qualities. Uh, yeah. In com complexity science, they're called emergent phenomena. And uh, you can't really manage them the way you manage an engineering project, but you can more reliably produce them if you have an actual process. I mean, everybody in the world knows you need a process to reliably produce anything. Doesn't matter whether you're talking about cars or clothing right. or peanut butter, you know, you got to have a process. Yes. But the people who run communities don't seem to know that. So the focus of my most recent book, Reconomics, is that process. I've spent the last 20 years tracking down exactly what is the minimum viable process that needs to be in place in a community in order to reliably produce revitalization or resilience. Well, I want to know more. <laughs> Tell me more about this because, and um, before I ask you to, you know, to give us dive down a little deeper, as you were talking, I was thinking about this show on, uh, I don't know, it's on the, you know, home, home network or whatever. I can't even tell you what 
what uh, channel I'm thinking of right now, but it's where these um, this couple is very committed to trying to revitalize towns, small towns, and they want to make small towns come to life again. And so they're going into all these towns, small towns, and then they'll they'll overhaul and redo six or seven businesses. Right. which sounds great. And I like the way they do it. And it's, you know, it makes you think it's, you know, it's all going to turn out great, but there's still just six or seven businesses within a community. And those businesses may say, this is great. We've got a new paint job. We've got new plumbing. We've got whatever new they needed, but it still doesn't tie the town together, you know, to really bring back small right. town America. So, and that's just one example, but tell, you know, tell us more, what, what can be done? What kind of process do we need to make uh, revitalization very effective. Yeah, you're right. Now, I, I think the couple that you're talking about are down in Alabama, somewhere yes. like that. Yes. Um, I haven't seen the show. I don't. I'm not a TV watcher, but uh, I, I I have heard about it. And you're right. Uh, most places are really good at projects. Mm-hmm. You know, the you know most projects do succeed. And the trouble is that projects don't produce revitalization. They can contribute to it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there are many things that can contribute to revitalization. There are social factors, economic factors, environmental factors, economic factors, political factors. Um, You know, so you can't just say, you know, I'm going to reuse and restore this this historic downtown building and we're going to be revitalized. The best you can say is that it will contribute to our revitalization. But projects are really the, the last step of the revitalization process. Uh, before you get to that kind of action, you need to really lay the groundwork to make sure that the momentum from each successful project is captured mm-hmm. and making subsequent projects easier. And the end goal that you're shooting for, that it's kind of the universal goal, any community or region on the face of the earth that's trying to revitalize should have at least uh, amongst their goals, the increasing the confidence in their future. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's the universal yes. goal, because if you don't increase confidence in the future of a place, you're going to continue losing residents, employers, and investors, and you're not going to be attracting new ones. So that that's kind of the overall arching goal. And to do that, you need to have an ongoing program. Mm-hmm. That's the first step of the process. You know, get out of this project by project, stop, start mentality and have an yeah. ongoing program because revitalization and regeneration, just like in our own bodies, it's not something you just do when you get sick. It's right. something that needs to be happening every moment of every day in order to maintain your health and your strength and your resilience. Well, and as you're talking, I was thinking about, you're right, this is another like, a, you know, you know, catch 22 because to have an ongoing program in a community, um, the one thing that can always throw a wrench in it is an elected official or Mm -hmm. numbers of elected officials because they want to run their agenda, their plan. And if they're in there for two years or four years or six years or eight or whatever, depends on where you are and what position you're in, you're still gonna have change. So you're not gonna have that constant, um, uh, that constant guiding force that says, hey, regardless of who's in power, you know, revitalization is going to take a longer term perspective that mm-hmm. that I can see being a terrible, terrible uh, monkey wrench in trying to have something that's truly sustainable and looking towards the future. 
Yeah, it's absolutely right, but it's easily avoidable. Uh, as I describe in Reconomics, the home for this ongoing program should not be a government agency. It should right. not be subject to the vicissitudes of uh, changes of administration. Mm. So it's okay to get support from politicians, but I found the best thing to do is, you know, how's this revitalization process, what we call the Reconomics process, how's it in a trusted local institution of some kind, usually mm -hmm. a nonprofit, maybe a community foundation, mm -hmm. um, and, or even create a new umbrella organization that works with all the local nonprofits and neighborhood groups and, and government agencies. You don't exclude them. You just don't become totally dependent on them. The best strategy I've found working with politicians is just go ahead and start your work. You know, don't bother asking for permission. And <laughs> ask for forgiveness if you have to. <laughs> yeah, well, if, even better than that, once you've got a few successes, give the politicians credit for it. There you go. There and you all go. of a sudden they're on your side, but you're not dependent on them. Right, right. Um, well, and but how do how do communities you know, create these because in and of itself, then you've got to, if it's going to be a, you know, a nonprofit, somebody's got to set it up. If it's another entity, somebody's got to, you know, get behind it, invest in it. And I, you know, I, I don't see those opportunities. One thing, uh, so I'm going to ask you that, but I'm, I'm just because it's in my mind too. And I cannot tell you the name of the, um, the, uh, the woman, the um, clothing designer, she, her name just escaped me. But in New York recently, they just uh, un unveiled this park that, oh gosh, I can't, I should, it's terrible that I can't think of her name, but this very, very world famous designer and her husband actually paid all the money to create kind of this park in this wharf area that was, you know, falling apart. And now it's this beautiful public space and they invested, you know, hundreds of, you know, a hundred and so million dollars of their own money and have set an endowment to keep it going. But the question that somebody asked in that was, you know, should local, you know, individuals be allowed to change or restore areas of community? And I thought, you know, it seems to me like a no brainer to have people who care enough about a space to invest in it. But there, if, if you've got people questioning that, even when it turns out wonderful, it's a really murky issue to try and make these um, mm -hmm. developmental changes within communities. Right. Are you talking about Diane Furstenberg? Yes. Thank you, Diane Furstenberg. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. It doesn't matter how good what you do is. Uh, there's always going to be somebody taking pot shots at it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I call those people uh, slinkies. <laughs> you're, you're probably uh, not old enough to remember slinkies oh but, yes uh, slinky it's a yeah, it's a wonderful right, toy yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I call those folks uh, slinkies because uh, they're not good for much but yeah. they sure put a smile on your face when you push them down the stairs <laughs> storm i love it <laughs> <clears throat> that is true <laughs> yeah so um yeah i mean here we are talking about you know how uh, one percent of uh, you know the nation owns something like ninety-four percent of the wealth, or uh, mm -hmm. some huge amount, uh, which is even worse than it was back in the feudal times. Yeah, uh, there was actually more shared wealth under the kings and queens and emperors than there is now under our pseudo democracy. But um, you know, if we're going to be taxing the wealthy more, why not let them buy parks like that? You know, that's, right. that's just another form of bringing the wealth back to the public. Yeah. It's not the ideal, but it's certainly not something to be objected to uh, yeah. unless they're creating it only for the wealthy. 
Right. Uh, but right. It's for, if it's for everybody, uh, then it's a good thing, but it's still just a project. Yeah, still it still just contributes. It doesn't create yeah. the, the fix. Not necessarily revitalizing the whole community. Now, some projects right. do, it, there's, there's a strategy um, I call the three re strategy, uh, which is uh, repurpose, renew, reconnect. Mm -hmm. And when that's put into effect, real magic can happen. And if the project's large enough and it uses that three re strategy, it really can revitalize an entire area. And uh, the High Line is a perfect example of that. Yes, you know, yes. It repurposed an elevated railway. They mm -hmm. then, once they found a viable new purpose for it, they were able to raise the funds to renew it, which is the second mm -hmm. part. And they created new access points for it, you know, passenger yeah. um, pedestrian stairs. And it reconnected, that reconnected it to the neighborhoods. And then yes. it reconnected the neighborhoods all along the lower west side of Manhattan. Uh, yes. So that whole area is now revitalized. So if a project is big enough, ambitious enough, and uses the right strategy, it can revitalize. But the best thing is to have a complete process. I agree. And the High Line in New York is amazing. I remember the first time I walked on it because I thought this is this is really brilliant. This is connecting neighborhoods. Um, and, and it's obviously had benefit because they're actually doing that in Philly. We have a small portion in Philly now, but it's yep. very well used and it's it's lovely. It hasn't had um, a significant amount of impact on its on the community, uh, you know, in one portion of it yet. But I can see that it will or can over time, and and all things do take time. Um, so it's good that those things can be replicated in other areas. But it still is the question of it: is it just one part of the process, or right. you know, how do you get any organize any community to be able to really think far enough in the future to be able to plan? Yeah, and I found that a lot of these uh, trails, like the one you've got there in Philadelphia, um, gain their value when uh, as they get expanded. Uh, mm -hmm. There's yes. a theory in uh, computer in computer network theory uh, that shows how the value of a network uh, does not increase in a linear manner as you add nodes to the network. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a very nonlinear thing, and you can reach a point, a criticality, they call it where you add one more node and all of a sudden the value of the entire network triples. Mm. And it's the same thing with these trails. Your trail there in, in uh, uh, Philadelphia might not be uh, reaching its full potential yet, but keep on expanding it over time, yeah. keep on adding nodes and you'll reach that criticality point, that tipping point. Yeah, it's really interesting. There's a portion of the railway that can connect to that um, that is very close to where I live, but it it doesn't go up. It you know goes down, and there's a section that there was a desire to uh, re, uh, revigorate those areas, re-energize, recreate those areas, and have um, you know these places that are probably with like 30 foot walls, but nothing over the top. And you know, could you add stores and vendors and those types of things? And it's just kind of sat out there in limbo. And I think because. There's also challenges. It, even in the heat of the summer, it might be too cold, or it might be dark, or the you know the uh, you know you've got to deal with issues of you know what when it rains and how do you you know how do you uh, get keeping the water out of there. But I'm I, we've been very hopeful to see something more happen because it really would be a tie between um, huge portions of our city making it easier, but also bringing more people with a desire to live downtown and be a part of the community. So we've got a very um, hefty 
downtown living area in Philadelphia. Lots of people, lots, you know, we, everybody walks, my husband and I don't even own a car. Um, so it's a great city to live in, but there's more to make it sustainable to your point in the future. So people see if I buy a house here, there will be more opportunity. There will be more things around there and we can continue to grow things. Yep. Yeah. I love Philly. It's, it's uh, got so much potential, yeah. so much untapped potential. But, but you're also doing it more good things than a lot of other big cities are. Yeah, it's definitely a different city to live in. Um, and uh, we'll have to, you know, there, I think we could probably talk about a ton of them, including Minneapolis, which I know you were referencing a minute ago too. <laughs> but um, Storm, I'm gonna, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from our sponsor and we will be right back. Top Dog Learning Group, LLC, is a leadership, change management, and diversity inclusion consulting firm based in Orlando, Florida, but with top doggers, aka consultants, throughout North America and beyond. They focus on training programs, both virtual and face-to-face, -face, keynotes and lunch and learns, group and one-on-one -on -one coaching, and off-the-shelf solutions. One such solution is their masterclass on the top three strategies to be resilient in times of change. This thoughtful self-paced online training will guide you through three tactics you can use immediately, not just to survive, but to thrive when change comes at you. Use the code RESIL50OFF for 50% off the program. Just go to bit.ly forward slash 3A5M LS6 and enter the code RESIL50OFF in all capitals to redeem your 50% off coupon. The link and code will be available in our show notes as well for easy access. Learn more today at topdoglearning.learningworlds.com. And we are back with Storm Cunningham and I'm so excited. I'm just loving this conversation because I feel like talking to you, I see um, I can see the challenges more realistically now to real true re revitalization, but I see that there are ways to do it. It's just going to require more, um, I think, more guts, especially from communities who say, we're going to invest in something that's longer term, that's not, you know, swayed by the, the tides of government or political views or, but really to invest in our community um, but it's not an easy thing to do when you go to talk to groups and you say, look, there's, there's opportunity here. Do people just say, yeah, that sounds wonderful and walk out the door and, you know, or do you hear back from people saying, okay, now I know the steps we need to take, or now I know we can make some forward progress with this. What's, what's our, what's our potential to actually make some of these things happen? Well, the easiest way to overcome this, uh, the credibility, uh, factor, I guess you could say, in terms of can we actually revitalize, uh, is to tell stories. Mm. Uh, just show them communities that had similar problems who, who overcame them. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are two sources for that credibility problem. One is that many communities have gone through many years, often many decades, of revitalization promises and don't have much to show for it. Sometimes they've invested huge amounts of money, you know, multi-billion dollar downtown redevelopment projects mm -hmm. uh, and still don't have much to show for it. Yeah. So, you know, they, they come by their skepticism, uh, you know, quite uh, genuinely. Uh, the other aspect is that 
on some level, most people know that revitalization and resilience are these kind of mysterious emergent qualities. And they just don't really believe that humans are capable of creating them, you know, yeah. kind of like creating a caterpillar. <laughs> um, you know, we can, we can uh, create good in environments for butterflies to lay their eggs and pro provide the right food and shelter for them. And, but all of that magic of turning an egg into a caterpillar or a caterpillar mm. into a butterfly is done by natural processes that we don't, we're not even close to understanding. So right. a lot of people see this revitalization as, as a mystery that probably cannot be successfully engineered. And uh, so that's why our focus at Reconomics Institute, at Reconomics.org, is on certifying revitalization and resilience facilitators, people oh. who actually know this process and can bring it to the table. You started to ask earlier, you know, how do we actually help communities create these processes? And the first step is you need to have somebody who actually knows what the process is. Yeah, They'll have a exactly. lot more confidence that they'll make progress if they if they have some reason to believe that they're going to be doing things differently this time yeah. and uh, so that's what these revitalization and resilience facilitators we just call them re-facilitators for short um, <laughs> bring to the table they basically can take a look at what the community is currently doing and do a gap analysis basically figure out okay well this is good you've got a vision yeah. uh, you've got these partnerships you've got these projects but you're missing a strategy and you're missing the policy work to support all this stuff, you know, and so, uh, or you're missing an ongoing program. So they, mm -hmm. they fill in until they get that minimum viable process, which just has six parts. Yeah. And, you know, it makes me, oh, six parts. Oh, let's tell me, tell me what the six parts are. And then I'll ask you my question. <laughs> I was like, wait, uh, no, there's an answer there. I want the answer. Yeah. I know you're okay. going to give away something, but people will still want to buy your book. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the, the six elements, you know, the minimum viable process, you can add to it. That's why I say minimum viable process, you can add to it, you can't take away. This mm -hmm. is the minimum that's necessary to have a, a reliable process to produce revitalization and resilience. First of all, you have to have that ongoing program. We've already talked mm -hmm. about that. First job of that ongoing program is to create a shared vision of the future. Mm -hmm. uh, shared vision, basically, it's a cohesive set of ambitious goals. Mm -hmm. And, um, the uh, next step, unfortunately, a lot of communities just, just stop there. They think if they have right. a vision, they'll magically revitalize. But exactly. you know, without a strategy, a vision is just a daydream. Right. Uh, so the next thing is you have to have a strategy to accomplish that vision, to overcome right. the primary obstacles to achieving that vision. And uh, after that, you take a look at your policies and find out what policies do we have in place that are going to get in the way of achieving that strategy and vision. Uh, what policies do we have, uh, are we missing that will mm -hmm. support that strategy and vision? Once you've got that in place, you can go ahead and start putting together some partnerships, mm -hmm. uh, which is the fifth step. And then the last one is projects. You know, the partnerships mm -hmm. bring the resources to the table that you need and actually to, to, do, to do the actual pro projects. That makes a lot of sense. And you're right. I can see how a lot of people get stuck on, hey, we've got the vision. It reminds me of, you know, billboards in the 50s, you know, where they'd say, hey, here's our, you know, our new community of the future. And they'd have pictures of, you know, neighborhoods and, you know, all the happy kids playing in the street and, and uh, you know, before there's even a house built. 
Um, and sometimes those houses were built and sometimes they weren't. It makes me think right. about my mom buying a piece of property in New Mexico for $5,000 in 1950 something, and it's still worth $5,000 and there's nothing near it. <laughs> oh, and by the way, I, I forgot to mention the secret sauce. Uh, the secret sauce is that it's not enough just to have a program, vision, strategy, policies, partnerships, and projects. Each one of them has to be regenerative in nature in mm -hmm. order to produce revitalization and resilience. Yes. And yeah. I say revitalization and resilience for two reasons. Number one is that the same activities can produce both. Both revitalization and resilience are based on repurposing, renewing, and reconnecting our natural and built and socioeconomic environments. Yeah. So why not combine them? And that's Absolutely. the second part is that if you combine them, now you've got the short-term benefits of revitalization with the long-term benefits of resilience, which helps fund and builds public support for both of them. Yeah. And that's well, another and big problem in communities is that they're doing revitalization and resilience work totally separately. Oh, well, and also you can't leave things waiting too long before you get started or else everything, you know, then things have changed and your outcomes mm -hmm. will change. You know, I'm thinking mm -hmm. about when you, you know, finally get through a, an area of any town and they're adding a new freeway or a new overpass and you think, why are you adding that with only X number of lanes when you know that, that, that's not enough. I mean, that's why you're trying to expand and grow now. So you're not planning for what, you know, it will be 10 or 15 years from now you're planning. You, you guys must've drawn up these plans 10 years ago and now you're putting them into effect and it's not there anymore. You can't just create the plan and let it sit so long that it's no longer valid. Yeah. Or you can ask them, why are you creating more lanes for cars when everybody knows that you'll revitalize better if you get rid of the cars and focus on transit? Yeah, my husband and I would love to see, you know, one of the great things that came out of the pandemic is that in downtown Philadelphia, many, many streets shut down so restaurants could open mm -hmm. spaces yep. in the streets. Now we're seeing that that's being pulled back in a lot of areas, unfortunately. But what we found is number one, the city could still figure it out. You know, mm -hmm. delivery trucks could still get through on certain streets. You know, you could still take care of everybody, but and traffic was obviously down because there were fewer people coming into the city, still is. But this is the greatest opportunity to say, why are we, why not move forward yep. with this? You know, create more open spaces, create more walking spaces instead of driving spaces. This is the yeah. perfect time to do it. Everybody's used to it. Yeah, I think transportation planners probably hold the title of being the world's most learning resistant profession. Yeah, I agree. I've known a few. Uh, <laughs> I've known a few very personally, and I would agree with that. <laughs> Storm, I think I could uh, talk to you all day about this. This is, I love what you're doing. Um, it sounds to me like your book isn't just really for, or your latest book isn't just really for people in this industry. Any of us, I think, could read your book and take something away, uh, at the very least, about the dialogues we have with other people in our communities. Yep. Yeah, and this doesn't have to be done as a profession. Uh, we've got people who are becoming certified revitalization and resilience facilitators uh, because they want to be more effective volunteers. Ah, oh, very good. Oh, I agree. I love it. I love it. In fact, I think I'm going to definitely uh, grab your book because uh, I know my husband would really enjoy it. And one of my brother-in-laws in particular just loves loves to look at uh, the world from a different perspective. And I think this is great. Um, so obviously we could talk all day. We're going to have all of your contact information on our show notes, but in case somebody wants to look you up right now, because they can't wait to learn more about you and all your books, what's the best way for them to reach you? Oh, just go to stormcunningham.com. 
that's my public speaking site and it's got links to all of my books organizations publications that sort of stuff wonderful and before we go storm do you have any last words of wisdom or pearls of advice for my listeners and viewers oh, absolutely <laughs> i knew you would what kind of author and consultant would i be if i didn't <laughs> exactly oh here you go what we restore restores us and what we revitalize revitalizes us that is deep what we restore restores us what we revitalize revitalizes us i think i just had this moment where you know my yoga dog who's with me just said that is so perfect i love it storm thank you so much for not only being my guest but for sharing um your wisdom but also your message to us that there is hope but we have to we have some responsibility in it and i really greatly appreciate you being with us today oh thanks for having me on your show michael you're a wonderful interviewer Thank you. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Shock Your Potential podcast. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com, including details on Michael's two best-selling books. Tell me more, how to ask the right questions and get the most out of your employees, and sales mixology, why the most potent sales and customer experiences follow a recipe for success. Make sure to check out our Shock Your Potential app on-demand professional training resources to help you excel in your career. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like us today.